Amen. Open your Bible to the book of Jeremiah this morning. Jeremiah chapter number 2. I'm like, I'm like my uh, mom-in-law over there. I just feel happy this morning. Amen. You know, of course, it's always like that. We always hate to, to call off church, um, you know, when the weather's bad. And it was kind of on that borderline, you know. We, t- we aired on the side of caution last week. Um, there's always something missing, isn't there, on Sunday morning when you're at home. But then that next Sunday when we get back, we're just kind of hungry. Amen. How many of you are hungry this morning? Hungry for the Word of God. So, All right, I trust that you've got it there, Jeremiah, uh, chapter number 2. I'm going to read verse 13. Uh, and then we're going to kind of come back and, and uh, go from verse 1 up to 13. But let me read verse 13 just to, for our text this morning, and then we'll pray. Uh, God, he's speaking to the, the nation of Israel when he says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed or dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And I want to preach about those broken cisterns this morning. Can you pray with me? Fathers, we come to you once again. We know that your presence is here. Lord, we have felt you already in the worship. Uh, As you move across our hearts, now we pray that you move across our spirits, our minds. Let your word uh, speak to us. I just pray for a special touch, a special anointing as your messenger. And God, that we all today may find a a lodging place in our hearts. Let us come to a place, God, where we need you and we recognize how much we need you, desperately need you, and look no other place for that that we need but in you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I didn't realize it until just now that, I mean, that last song really goes pretty well with what we're talking about. I love that song, um, Lord, I Need You. Oh, I need you, right? Of all things, when we come, we realize how deprived our souls are, that we don't have the capability to, uh, to supply what we need. We need to rely on God. And so God here, if we went back up into verse number 1, chapter 2, verse 1. God speaking, God, God had given Jeremiah a very special calling. Um, I don't know that Jeremiah would have considered it so special. Uh, it was a very difficult calling. Uh, basically what God says, Jeremiah, I want you to go out and tell my people just how low and scummy they are at this point. I mean, they have just completely uh, backslid and turned their heart against God. And so Jeremiah had a, a task for him. But this is what God is speaking about the nation of Israel and how they had backslidden. Let's look at verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. In other words, Jeremiah had to gather all of the leaders of Jerusalem together, of Israel together, and say, Hey, I've got a word from you from God, and this is what God is saying to you. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of His harvest, and all who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. God just simply saying, Guys, I remember what it was like when I first called you to be my people. When I first spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and when I declared that of all the nations of the earth, you would be my people, that I might bring uh, Christ ultimately into the world. But I declared you to be my people, and in that moment, you trusted me. You loved me. I loved you. It's the picture of a newlywed couple. right? God said, I remember the way you guys loved me, and all I had to do was say, go here and you went, or stay there and you stayed. And he said, I just remember those days. And anybody that would come against you, I'd just kind of knock them out of the way. God says, I I remember those days. Verse 4, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me, and went after worthlessness, and became worthless? In other words, God's saying, what did I do wrong? I mean, I provided for you in every way. 
loved you and protected you. What did I do wrong that you and your ancestors determined that I wasn't enough anymore? That, that just me being your God wasn't sufficient, that you needed to go somewhere else to find something. What did I do wrong? He said, I like that. It says, you, you went after worthlessness and became worthless. How many of you know if you chase after worthless things, you become worthless, right? And, and so the nation of Israel, in, in a sense, for the work that God had called them to do in, in the world, they were worthless. God called the nation of Israel to multiply and to, and to spread where God's people would spread and God's law would spread, God's, word, God's uh, name would spread, but they stopped doing that and so they became ultimately worthless. Jesus kind of says the same thing about us as the church. We're, we're supposed to be like salt, right? So the church... We as Christians are supposed to be the ones spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be the ones witnessing. We're supposed to be the ones doing what is right you know, in our own lives. We are the salt of the earth, meaning our lives and our influence and our witness should give flavor to the world around us. But if salt loses its flavor, then it becomes worthless. And so God help us to never be a worthless church. It's worthless just to have church when the church doesn't get inside of us and change who we are, right? You've chased after worthless things and now you've become worthless. And then verse 6, he goes on to say, they did not say, in other words, speaking of his uh, other ancestors, they didn't say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells. I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things, but when you came in... You defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. So basically saying, you know, uh, at what point, you know, you guys kind of quit saying, where is the Lord? Uh, for a while, when you first came into the land of Israel, everybody was saying, oh, how great God is. God, we need you. You're wonderful. Thank you for all that you've done. But after a period of time, they, they kind of lost that awe of God. You know, one of the most... One of the most tragic things that can take place in the, in the heart of a child of God is when we lose the awe Amen. of God. Amen. When we forget what He's done in our life and how great and how mighty He's been. That's what happened with the nation of Israel. They just forgot how great God had been and no longer said where He is, no longer called on Him. It's just kind of like, okay, God, we got it from here, right? And then He goes on to say this. Even the preachers were all goofed up. Verse 8, The priests did not even say, Where is the Lord? How many of you know that it's bad when the child of when Christians don't call on the Lord? How many of you know it's really bad when the preachers don't call on the Lord? Amen? So the priests, the guys who were supposed to be seeking God and leading the nation in a spiritual path, were snoozing on the job. They're not even saying, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I will contend with you, declares the Lord, and, I, and with your children's children, I will contend. Meaning God, God's saying ultimately, you know, even, even despite all of that, I'm still putting up with you. Uh, I'm still trying. I'm still drawing you. I, I, I believe with all of my heart, if I know anything about the grace of God and, and what is presented in His Word about the grace and the mercy of God, is that this one thing, God will never stop drawing somebody. Amen? I mean, somebody that is repentant. Somebody that, that, that is, has opened their heart to God. There's, there's just not a point. There, God is not looking at any person and saying, I just can't wait to get rid of them. God is constantly drawing people closer to Him. 
So he says, I'm continuing to draw you. But he goes on to say, for, for cross to the coast of Cyprus and see or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate. Uh, desolate declares the Lord. What he's saying ultimately is this: you know, God's saying, "Okay, you're you're Israel, you're my nation. I am your God. Proven myself over and over and over again by miraculous works, and then all these other nations out here that are pagan." Uh, worshiping God. I mean, they just worship idols. They worship false gods. He said, go, go look around at some of these other nations and see if any of them are changing gods. They're not. Even these pagan gods that are bowing down to these idols, these idols that can't hear them, idols that can't see them, idols that can't even answer their prayer, yet they continue to worship that God and they don't ever change gods. But my people, for some weird reason, have changed gods. They were so, you know, the thing about Israel, uh, they were so curious about other gods. That was their biggest downfall was this, des- this desire for other gods. They, they would come across a nation and this certain nation would have a certain idol or god and they would, they would be drawn to that for some reason. And God, you know, God's just a selfish God. He just doesn't want to share our heart. Amen? Can you imagine that? The audacity of God that He would create us and then not just you don't want to share us with all of the false demons of hell? No. God said, you're my people and I don't want to share. But you guys, you're going out, you're doing what even the wicked countries don't do in that they, you've changed gods. And then he says here in verse 13, For my people have committed two evils. First one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. God said, I have been there. I've provided everything for you. What is, what is living water? It's water that's always thriving, right? You, so your first mistake was you forsook me. You, you abandoned me. Then the second evil was, your second mistake was you hewed out cisterns for yourself, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I mean, know what a cistern is. It's not, it's not multiple siblings of the female nature, by the way. If you, you know, there's the brethren and then there's the cistern in the church. But that's, it's a different, different type of cistern, okay? C-I-S-T-E-R-N. A cistern uh, is basically just a big hole in the ground. We don't use them much anymore, but a lot of old houses, they dig a big hole in the ground at the corner of a house so that the rainwater would run into it and catch it. And they could use that was before the days of indoor plumbing. They could use the water out of that cistern. And in many ways, the difference in a well and a cistern is this. A well is tapped down deep into water that is constantly running, constantly fresh. You might say living water. It's constant. It's constant as opposed to a cistern that kind of maybe holds stagnant water. But the only thing worse than a cistern that holds stagnant water is a cistern that won't hold any water. A broken cistern that can hold no water. Okay, so would everybody agree that a broken cistern would be worthless, right? So God said, I have been a well to you, living water, in that I have constantly always been meeting your needs. And you left me, the well, for an old hole in the ground that can't hold any water. It's a picture of not only Israel who forsake God and went to these false idols. But it's a picture of of all of us. I mean, all of God's people can be guilty of this in a certain way. See, Jesus said things like this. When He was on the earth, His teaching revolved around something like this. Whoever, He said, would receive Him into their life 
would have, it would be like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. A well of water. When we receive Christ, it is a well of water, constant supply of our needs, both physical and spiritual, right? Uh, he said that those who thirst after righteousness shall be filled. What is, what is thirst? A thirst is a lack of something, okay? If, if your body lacks moisture, you are thirsty. As soon as that moisture is, is placed back in the body, you're no longer thirsty. It is a lack. So, therefore, Jesus claiming himself, he is the living water, he is the well. He said this in John chapter 7, uh, he said, Whosoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Okay? Jesus is saying ultimately this, for your soul, I am the water. What is thirst? It's a lack of something. And a soul that lacks Jesus is left spiritually thirsty. Nothing in this world can satisfy the longing and the thirst that is in their heart. So to pull away from Christ who is the well and turn to... Amen, a broken cistern can represent a whole bunch of things. It, uh, that broken cistern is different for everybody. For some people, that broken cistern it may, it may be money. Maybe their job. I, I, you know, I'm pers- I want to pursue and make sure that I've got a, a lot of money in the bank. I want to be successful on the job, and we, and, which is great, but we pull away from the well in order to get our fulfillment in life from the broken cistern. Jesus said, I want, I want you to know that the well, the water that I give, you shall never thirst again. That's what he told the woman that came to the well. You remember the whole story? You'll never thirst again. You'll never be left another moment in your life wondering what the purpose of life is, whether or not God loves you or whether or not God cares. Jesus says, I supply that continually. God says to his people, he tried so, he tried so desperately to get the nation of Israel to leave their broken well, or leave their broken cistern and go back to the well. In the natural sense, seems like a no-brainer, right? I mean, let's look at this in a natural sense. Let's say I'm just... I haven't drink, I have to say I'm drinking water in three days. How long can you go without water? It's about three days. So let's say, let's say I haven't drank drink any water in three days. And I'm hovering, there's, there's a well over here, but I'm over here and I'm digging around in this old broken cistern that's just dust and rocks. And you come up to me and you say, Dennis, Dennis, oh my goodness, what's wrong? I say, I'm, I'm thirsty. I'm, a, I'm about to die. I am so thirsty. And they're like, you know, there's a well over here. Yes, but I, I want to get it out of here. I want, I want to be satisfied from here, from the broken cistern. How much sense would that make? You'd be like, dude, you're an idiot. There's, there's a well. It's got water. I can see it. I mean, your, your whole problem can be fixed right here. Why would you not do that? And so God looks at us the same way when He's, he's available to us, but we're looking to, to sex and to drugs and to money and to approval. And I mean, you name it again, the cistern, the broken cistern is different for everybody. Whatever it is, you're digging in to try to get satisfied. Dude, quit trying to get your purpose and your meaning from life out of a broken cistern it's over here in jesus amen yeah. hallelujah you'll be surprised you'll be surprised about how much different our lives go when every day we take a dip out of the well every day how many of you drink water every single day let me see your hand why is that we don't want to be thirsty we don't want to be thirsty 
Like, I am very thirsty right now. I'm lacking water severely. We don't want to be thirsty, so we drink water every single day. If, oh, let me make a, let me make a little visual aid here. How many of you are thirsty right now? <laughs> nice and cold. Well water, I might add. This has no chlorine in it. Right out of the well. And you know what? I'm not thirsty anymore. That, that did the trick. You guys are, because I just tortured you. But uh, We drink water every day because we need it. And we got to dip into the well of Christ every day because we need it. I'm not saying it takes four hours a day uh, to study the Word of God and pray. That'd be great. You know, I, if you can do that, do that. But it's not, it's not a matter of, I mean, I don't just like stick my whole head down in the well and just you know, drink for four hours. I, I get a drink here and there. That's what's available every day. When you go to the Word and you open it in the morning, you're not just fulfilling some sort of religious uh, checklist. You're, you're taking a drink from the well. Right? Every time you kneel down, you say, God, I need you in this day. Oh, God, I need you. I can't, I can't go through this day. I, Lord, I don't dare want to make a decision in this day without having gone to the well and got a drink from my soul. Amen? Amen. We function better when we're hydrated. If you've got plenty of water in your system, you can go out and do any job you need to do. You just function better. You neglect the water, you're not going to function as well. Try to, try to dig a ditch with a shovel and a pick while you're dehydrated. You're not going to do it very good, but you stay hydrated, you can do it. We can't go out and face hell every day and all the powers of darkness that come against us every day Make decisions for the betterment, betterment of ourselves and our families and our churches and our homes. We can't do that every day unless we have been properly spiritually hydrated and have looked to Jesus for those answers. Amen? Amen. Oh, Lord, I need you. Amen. Two evils. One always leading to the other, obviously. It's better. You guys said, no, no, your first wrong was leaving me. The second one was trying to find something else to satisfy you. And the thing about it is this. You've got to realize this. It is embedded in us to worship something. It, it's, it's just kind of, it's built into the human DNA, the human makeup. When God created us, He created us with the need to worship something. Okay? Oh, Him. I mean, He created us with the need to worship Him. But to worship nonetheless. Now, whether or not we worship Him is where we get to choose. God says, I'm going I'm to install in them the need to worship something. And I'm going to make myself completely available to them. I'm going to make them the offer that if they'll give me their worship, I will in turn love them, protect them, keep them, forgive them, love them. I'll just, I will be a God to them. It's all God's ever wanted. You be my people, I'll be your God. Cut and dried. Simple. So I'm going to extend to you, God says, that if you'll give me your worship, then you'll never regret that. It'd be a well of water. I'll meet your every need. But if you want to give your worship to something else, you're more than willing to do that. I mean, you're more than able to do that. God wanted, He gave us free will, free choice, because He wanted us to give Him our worship freely. Right? meant more to God that way. If we were forced, if God forced us to worship Him, it, it, it wouldn't mean much. He wanted us to do it of our own free will. And so we're going to worship something. It may not be a little statue of Buddha, it may not be, you know, a big statue of Baal. But if we don't worship God, we worship something. Again, maybe money, maybe fame, fortune, pleasures, you name it. Whatever that broken cistern is, 
we will, we will worship it. It becomes our God. And we have a tendency as human beings to want to make our own God. See, wouldn't it be nice? That wouldn't be, but let's speak hypothetically. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just make God be what we wanted Him to be? Right? If we could create God and make Him the way we think He should be, where it would fit my lifestyle the best. Now, it sounds crazy, but that's ultimately what mankind has tried to do from the very beginning. Rather than accepting who God is and the fact that He never changes, we want to tweak Him a little. We want to, we want to make our own so that we don't have to... See, if you, if, you, if you can either eliminate God or at least build your own that's real easy going, then you don't really have to worry too much about do's and don'ts and, you know, and conviction and all that jazz. You know what I mean? I just make God the way I want Him so that we're all, we're all cool. If I can make God this cool dude this, you know, that uh, just brushes all my sins under the rug, then I've got her made. Right? So, you know, this happened. In fact, if you go look back into Exodus chapter 32, you remember the story uh, where Moses had gone up the mountain uh, to get the law of God. Okay? The Israelites, these same uh, rebellious Israelites, were down at the bottom of the mountain. Mount, or Moses goes up the mountain because God called him up there. God said, Moses, I want you to come up to the top of this mountain, thunder, cloud, whole bit. God was there. And Moses met with him, and God gave Moses the law, and specifically the Ten Commandments. You remember it from Sunday school. God, with his own finger, wrote the Ten Commandments. Number one, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. I think that was the first one. And I forget the order from there, but you know the point. With God's own finger in the stone, he wrote the commandments, okay, for the benefit of the nation of Israel. And literally, because God was their well, right? So Moses is up there on the mountain. I think it was like 40 days, 40 nights, something like that. And, and Moses had told the Israelites, look, you guys stay here, uh, chill out for a while. I'm going to go up and talk to God, and I'll come back and let you know what he says, okay? Well, after a while, a week goes by, two weeks goes by, and everybody starts to talk amongst themselves. You know, I really thought Moses would be back by now. I mean, how long does it take to talk to God? How long does it take for God to say, you know, do this and don't do that? I mean, something's wrong. About the third week goes by, you know, maybe about the fourth week. It's like, yeah, Moses is dead. There's probably a mountain lion up there got him or something, you know. I'm paraphrasing this, but ultimately they were, they were saying, Moses is delaying his coming. Something's happened to Moses. He's not coming back. And they begin to panic because Moses was their only link to God in whom they had worshipped up to that point. And now... They're thinking that Moses and that God must be out of the pocket, but it's embedded in us to worship something. So they go to Aaron. Aaron had been left in charge. Moses said, Aaron, you're in charge. I'm going to talk to God. Aaron was in charge of the people, and the people came to Aaron, and they say, look, look, Aaron, uh, Moses has been gone a long time. Uh, he's, he's, I mean, he's probably just a rack of bones up there by now. I mean, he's been eaten or fallen into a cave. Something's wrong. He ain't coming back. You need to get us a God, Okay. Uh, you need to get us a God. So Aaron, Aaron said, the most logical thing, you know, well, give me all of your earrings and your bracelets and your, you know, all of this, uh, anything that's golden, bring me all your gold. And the Bible says that he melted down that gold and he took a graving tool and he forged, I mean, he, he engraved a golden calf and he set it up in front of all of the nation to see and said, this is your God. This is the God that delivered you out of Egypt. Okay, now think about this for just a moment. I mean, you could see where God would have kind of been offended. I mean, what if you went and just went all out to 
you know, I, I, let's just say that Steve went all out to help you guys, it, it helped, it helped do something for you, and then you come and, and thank me for it. Dennis, you're so great, you raked our yard, and all this. I mean, he's going to be pretty hurt. God, so they put this golden calf that can't talk, it just sits there. It can't talk, it can't blink, it can't see. And they begin to worship this calf. They made their own God. And when you make your own God, you can do whatever you want to. Because you have that God in your back pocket. That God you made serves you. Right? The Bible says that once they got that golden calf up, they rose up to play. I mean, it was party time and it was on heavy. They're partying, they're having a good time. Because they'd made their own God. People do that all the time. I'm going to make my, we're going to worship something. It's not in the sense, we don't have too much of a problem with idol, you know, bowing down to statues or anything. But there's a lot of things that we as human beings bow down to. We create our own little world, we create our own little God, and then that way we feel like he, he, we kind of are in control. God kind of has to do what we want him to do then. The best thing that we can learn, the sooner we learn this the better, is that God kind of owns everything. He is God. We belong to Him. He don't operate for us. We operate for Him. Amen? He's not a genie in the lamp there to poof, meet this need, poof, meet that. He'll meet our needs. He promised He would. But that's not why He's there. Just so that we can tell Him what to do and be the God. So, of course, the rest of the story, it was kind of interesting. You know, God, of course, God knows what's going on. You can't hide anything from God. And there, So God and Moses are like in this mid mid-conference, uh, you know, about the commandments, and God's explaining them to Moses, and then God's like, oh, they are already, they're already messing it up. These people are down there worshiping a golden calf and saying that that calf delivered them out of Egypt. They're not giving me the glory they're giving. It. And, and God, God was kind of upset to the point where he says, tell you what, Moses, stand back for just a second. God rolls up his sleeves and says, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm just going to kill the whole lot of them. I mean, he was literally ready to wipe out the entire nation of Israel, which would have been probably three million some odd people, estimation, they say. He's going to wipe them all out. He said, let's just start over. I'm going to wipe them all out, and then I'll raise up a new uh, nation out of you, Moses. And Moses goes to bat for this, these wicked... And Moses goes, God, you can't, you can't do that. Please don't do that, because here's the thing. If you destroy the Israelites out here in the wilderness, then all of these other pagan nations will say... Yeah, the God of Israel wasn't good enough to keep them. Some well he turned out to be. They got out in the middle of the desert and then they, he just let them all go or he killed them all. He said, God, we, we really need you to, I need you to see this thing through, Lord. Don't, 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 don't destroy them. He said, if anything, if anything, God, take my name out of the book. Wipe my name out of you. Punish me, but don't punish them. Of course, God didn't do that. He said, no, they'll pay for it. But God stayed his hand because of Moses' call. So Moses, knowing what's happened, starts his way back down the mountain. He gets down pretty close to the camp. Joshua is with him. Joshua had went up so far with him. So they get on the way down, and, and Joshua, they, they hear all of this commotion, a lot of voices, real loud voices. And Joshua says, I mean, he's like about to draw his sword, I think. He's like, oh, no, we're under attack. And Moses, is like, Moses says, no, it's, it's, that's not the sound of war. That's not the sound of crying and despair. That's the sound of playing. Basically, I'm paraphrasing, but that's, that's the sound of singing. And he knew that they were rejoicing and partying and doing God knows what for their new God. Moses gets down there and he sees it. He already knows what's going on. 
But when he sees it, it just breaks his heart. He takes these stone commandments that God had written with his own finger, threw them down and broke them. You've heard me say it before. He's the first guy to break all the commandments at the same time. Right? He, he broke them, and he went down. He was so disappointed in the people. And he goes to Aaron, and he says, Aaron, and here's the thing. This one reason I want to go this far. He goes to Aaron, and he says, Aaron, what are you doing? I mean, have you, are you out of, this is a, a, a quote from the Conger playbook. Are you out of your ever-loving mind? What are, you, what are you thinking that you would build? And Aaron says, well, I just, you know, the people, they were upset. They didn't think you were coming back. And, you know, they were mad and they were scared. They needed a God. I didn't know what to do. So I got all their gold. I threw it in the fire. And out came this calf. It's just once we put the gold in there, it just came out. And that, that's what it looked like. And, and when you read back, we know Aaron, grave, he carved this, this calf. He made his own calf. But then when he recognized the devastation that it brought, they just wanted to give it all up to chance. Blame somebody else. That's easier. Amen? It'd be a whole lot easier for me to stand up here and preach to you and say, hey, hey guys, something bad goes wrong in your life or you get off on the wrong track, just go blame somebody else. It's all good, right? No, at some point, we individually have to say, God, I left the well. I stepped away from the well. And I went to a broken cistern and I am... So very thirsty in my soul. The path to the well never grows over. Amen. It's an asphalt path. It's always there. I said, the path to my well is there. All you got to do is walk it back. Amen. So thankful for God and for all that he does. I don't know. I just got all over, all off my notes. So if you guys want to see my notes, you can just come see them after after church, I guess. The uh, people kind of have, and I've heard people say this. Probably have said it myself. <clears throat> people have this mindset to a certain degree. Well, I'll serve God in my own way, and that seems like it seems like a noble thing to say. I'll serve God in my own way. The problem is God don't recognize that way. I mean, literally, however good your intentions are, God doesn't want you to serve Him in your way. He wants you to serve Him His way. And there's only, there's only one way, and it's God's way. And, uh, but I'll just I'll serve God in my way. And one of the most, most misquoted verses there is, people like to quote, well, the Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And, and that, as, as to imply that the Bible says, well, just work out your own salvation. Just work it out. with You, you, you kind of cop a deal with God and, you know, uh, if you can make a deal with God for you, how you're saved and I'll make a deal with God, we'll work out our own salvation. And obviously, that is not what that means, right? Paul, in that, in that scenario, was saying, look, he was talking to people who were already saved. He was like, look, at this point, I'm not around to babysit you. You need to work out your own salvation. Now you're saved. Work it out, right? Work through it. Get busy. Do something with God. But it's not a matter of, I'll just serve God in my own little way. Um, because what happens is what we end up doing is making our own God, right? We forsake God and who He is, and we downplay His authority. Imagine that. Imagine us, weak, sinful human beings, deciding that we can serve God in our own way. Amen? No. God said, look, I'll, uh, I'll set the way before you. I'll make it clear. It's more clear than what we make. We, we muddy it up a lot, but God, God's path to salvation is very clear. It's, it's, not, it's not hard. It's very simple. How to get to the well is very simple, uh, and that's through the cross. 
Amen. We get to the well through the cross. We come to Jesus. Jesus said, I, he that believes on me, as the scripture has said, from his belly or from his soul, from his innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. It goes on to say, this he spoke of the Holy Spirit because Jesus had not yet been glorified. What does he mean? Jesus hadn't been ascended, but as soon as Jesus was ascended, the the Holy Spirit was was enabled to come and abide inside of us and live within us and be that constant supply, that constant well. If you were to, I think, I think what we need to do, like right now, at your house, you have a faucet, and you just turn it on kind of as you need it, right? It's off. Oh, I need a drink. So I go and I turn it on, and I get my drink, and I turn it back off again until I need it again. But when it comes to, the, to God and this fountain, I think we need to turn it on and, and snap the handle off. Let it run. Let it flow in our life. Drink. Drink from it. From the moment we get up to the moment that we go to sleep. You can drink from this fountain where you're at work. I'm not just talking. I mean, there's times where I've been alone with God and I'm just like, I mean, just, just I'm, I'm connected with the Lord and I'm crying and I'm weeping. I'm drinking from the fountain. But that don't mean you've got to do that at work. You know, you're at the teller window. Well, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You know what I mean? But, but you, we drink from the well all the time. It may not be a big, boom, spiritual, but, but just through the day, there's this, there's this inner worship. I mean, something as simple, you know, a task that you're doing on your job and it works out. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Uh, you just, just, you're just under always. The faucet's running and we're under the well. It's supplying. It's meeting our every need. It's a minute, second by second relationship. Amen? A, tr- a second by second entrusting of God. I'm going to leave you with this verse. It's in Zechariah chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. It says, on that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And I also will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. Does anybody want to take a stab in the dark as to who that fountain is? This is a prophecy. Zechariah, what is this? I don't know, seven, eight hundred years maybe before Christ was even born. And the nation of Israel and the world was in a state of complete deprivation, I mean, complete desolation spiritually. Lost. Darkness. Right? And their backs turned against God, but God still, through the prophets, compelling, drawing, promising. And God says to the nation of Israel, several hundred years before Jesus comes, there'll be a day in which a fountain will break open for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and ultimately for the entirety of the world, in which souls now can be saved. Souls now can be satisfied. Those in darkness can now be in light. Those who are lost can now be found. Those who are injured and sick can now be healed. There'll be a day where the fountain will flow and all needs we met. God said, I'll I'll wipe away the sin. I'll get rid of the darkness. And everything became available the second Jesus Christ said it is finished. The second he died on the cross of Calvary and then rose again the third day, that fountain started to pour 
throughout the earth. Amen? Amen. Welcoming anybody to come and get a drink. Amen? So the only question really, I guess, for you as an individual, I mean, obviously any of us can uh, uh, take or leave a message. Um, you can take or leave it. But I guess the main question to be asked for each one of us individually is just simply this. How thirsty are you? How thirsty are you in your soul? Where are you, what are you drinking out of? Are you satisfied in your soul that you know Jesus? Do you find yourself constantly, maybe in, in turmoil, there's just not that relationship with God? I mean, you're drinking from another, from a broken sister. Everybody close your eyes with me this morning, would you? Who needs prayer this morning? If you need prayer, I'm going to ask you just to step up out of your seat.